0: Thank you for listening to this new episode of the podcast, By the Still Water. These messages are meant to encourage your search for the God of Heaven. Thank you for listening. Learning the truth can be life-altering. In 1958, a painting was sold at auction for about $60. It had been floating around the houses of European nobility for centuries. The painting was thought to be the work of a minor artist, and was a copy of another painting by the great Renaissance master Leonardo da Vinci. However, that thought began to change. Using modern scanning and imaging techniques, something unusual could be seen. The upraised hand in the painting had been altered, like an earlier version of the sketch had been redrawn. The thinking was, if this painting was an intentional copy of another, why had the hand position changed? Suddenly, a new possibility arose. The original painting by da Vinci had been lost centuries before, or had it. More evidence was collected, and more experts examined the image, the paints, the canvas, and every other element of the painting. The conclusion was that the painting was not a copy of a da Vinci, but was an original work of art, painted by da Vinci's own hand. The story ends with the painting being sold again in 2017. The buyer was an agent for Middle East royalty. The sale price? $450 million. The highest price ever paid for a work of art. Dozens of owners had possessed the painting in the years and never realized what it was. Thousands of people saw the painting and never guessed what a treasure it might be. But because a feud looked closer and had the interest to answer some questions, they discovered something amazing. They discovered the truth. Many glance at the story of the Bible, shake their head, and move on, never considering what might be contained there. Yet, within the pages are ideas and words that are worth more than every art treasure in the world. Consider the prophet named Isaiah, and the book he wrote. But before we introduce Isaiah— We need to take a moment to discuss this word, prophet. Many hear that word and think that the focus of a prophet is looking into the future. But giving people a glimpse into what is coming was only a small part of what they did. The mission of the prophet was mostly to be a spokesman or messenger for God. Many spoke of what was happening at that moment and how the people's choices impacted their relationship with God. Many urged the people to change And to return to godly practices or helped people understand the reason something was happening. King David, the man that wrote so many of the Psalms we have discussed, is considered a prophet of God. That does not mean that some future events weren't revealed. King David gave us one of the clearest pictures of the crucifixion of Jesus in Psalm 22, a psalm written almost a thousand years before Jesus. He reveals in the Psalms the words of not only Jesus, but the enemies of Jesus, and how that scene would play out. So, a prophet of God was a messenger for both the current situation and, at least sometimes, the future. But the main focus of a prophet was bringing understanding to the people, to help them see the God of heaven and how he is the master of all—political, economic, social, and spiritual the book of Isaiah carries that message in many places. He speaks of a child born that will be called the Prince of Peace. It carries the message in chapter 53 of a suffering servant, one of the most moving descriptions of what the cross should mean to the followers of Jesus. But the book of Isaiah is 66 chapters long. This is not a casual read, and to understand much of it requires an understanding of the history of Israel, the themes of the book, and how it connects to the rest of the Bible. So instead of looking at the book as a whole, let's just look at one small part, the beginning of chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so that they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified." One of the interesting elements to this part of Isaiah is how closely it is connected to Jesus. Jesus was in his hometown and was asked to pick a passage to read for the Sabbath day service. Isaiah 61 was what he chose. Listen to what this says. The one chosen of God comes to bring good news to those that desperately need it. He has been sent to heal the brokenhearted. He has been sent to free those held captive. We have talked in previous podcasts about the mountain sermon of Jesus. One of the important themes throughout that lesson is how the religious leaders of the day got it wrong. They saw themselves as spiritually bulletproof, when in truth, they had put themselves ahead of God. They saw themselves as self-sufficient in terms of help, guidance, not having any spiritual needs at all. But remember the composite picture that Jesus paints of a citizen in his kingdom. They are poor in spirit. They are those that mourn for what sin has done to the world and to themselves. They are the ones that would listen to the greater wisdom of God and be willing to follow, and would be so open to learning more that Jesus describes them as hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God. Compare this to the words of Isaiah 61 we mentioned before. Isaiah says that God will send a messenger that will bring the good news to those that are starving for hope and help. He talks of those that are gravely wounded, but the wound is their heart that has been broken, and they have begun to despair. The message is like a bandage and a healing medicine to that wounded heart. And then he uses the image of someone held a prisoner. After years in captivity and slavery, the news has come that they are free. One element to consider here is who is starving for hope, and who has been gravely wounded in their heart, or who feels they have been held in captivity. It would not be those that saw themselves as bulletproof or spiritually superior to the common people. If they viewed themselves as self-sufficient, the good news of hope would be meaningless. It may be one of the reasons that we see that the religious leaders were so hostile towards Jesus— it is also one of the reasons they were not receptive to the message he brought. But is that attitude or point of view correct? Bob Ebling is not a name you probably recognize. The reason you don't recognize his name is because he failed. Bob was an engineer with a great deal of education and experience in his field. On the morning of January 28, 1986, he tried to give a warning to those in charge that the conditions were too dangerous and that if they went ahead with their plans, bad things could happen. But the people that chose to ignore Bob were not just other engineers, but also business managers and politicians. They thought they knew more than Bob and went ahead with their plans. Sadly, Bob was proven right. 73 seconds after liftoff, the space shuttle named Challenger exploded. Killing all seven astronauts on board. The cause of the explosion was later determined to be the O rings on the solid rocket boosters, the very system Bob Ebling said would fail. One of the things about the Challenger disaster is that it is one of the most extensively documented events in history. Hundreds of cameras were not only watching the event itself, but watching the faces of those who witnessed the tragedy. Great hope turns to horror and grief in a matter of seconds. Schoolchildren, expecting a lesson from Krista McAuliffe, the first teacher in space, looked on with confusion and then sadness. NASA workers broke down in tears, and the astronauts' families looked around for someone to explain or fix the problem. Joy and elation turned to despair and sorrow, a sorrow shared by the whole nation, all of that can be seen in the images captured by the cameras. Our lives can have similar arcs. One moment it is joy and excitement, but in the next moment our understanding of the world and our outlook is shattered. We might experience unfairness or injustice. We might face tragedy or loss. We might face uncertainty or confusion And in all of that, wonder where answers could be found. Isaiah says that the one chosen by God to bring this good news does not undo the damage or fix someone's mistakes, but what is provided is hope for the future. The despair will not be forever. The broken heart can be mended, and the captive can be freed. The future and hope is found in the good news. The Hebrew people experienced many tragedies after Isaiah wrote these words. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians, and many people were taken captive. Later, the Greeks viewed them as barbarians and desecrated the rebuilt temple. Then the Romans came and were even worse than the Greeks. In between these national tragedies were personal disasters of loss, hurt, betrayal, injustice, and brutality. Isaiah says the good news is the comfort for those that mourn. Instead of grief, ashes, and helplessness, these are traded for flowers, oil, and a garment of godliness. And it will be a lasting and strong change, like an oak tree that is strong and tall. Can you picture people going through these events, being reminded of this promise written by Isaiah? They looked for the comfort and the liberty and the joy. All of these blessings are attributed to this good news and the one that brought it, the one selected of God to deliver this news. And now we return to Jesus in his hometown on the Sabbath day, reading these words from Isaiah 61. After he read, he sat back down and everyone waited for him to say something. His message was simple. The one that is to bring the good news? That's me. And no one believed him. They missed the greatest prize of all time because they thought they knew who he was. He was the carpenter's son. His brothers and mother were known to them. This can't be the anointed of God. They missed it. I wonder at the person that sold the da Vinci painting for $60. If they had any notion of what a treasure it really was, would they have acted differently? Jesus, the anointed one of God, offers hope and comfort and freedom, all within the story of the good news. Many pass right by because they think they know what the story of Jesus is. But like the man that sold a painting for $60, or the people of Jesus' hometown, they thought they knew better. Maybe there is more to Jesus than meets the casual eye. Look again. Thank you for listening to this episode of By the Still Water. It is our desire that these messages reflect the true Word of God. If you would like to reach us, you can reach us by email at by the still water 2024 at gmail.com you can also find us on facebook at by the still water podcast please consider subscribing this will alert you to new episodes when they are made available again thank you for listening